0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, about a month ago, we started a new series called rise up.
1: And we're going to basically, through this series, look at faith lessons from Nehemiah. Now, what we know about Nehemiah is this. He's a Jew who was a servant of King Artaxerxes, and he basically had a burden to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, where his people were at, in despair and in reproach. And so the king grants him the ability to do that. And so he goes and the process is beginning and they're facing obstacles, but now they're going to be confronted with another situation that really is going to maybe possibly derail the whole project. They got problems among themselves that need to be addressed. Now, the reason why we're looking at this story is because the walls of Jerusalem, they symbolize the security and the wholeness of the people. But you and I, as you think about your life, if you think about your marriages, you think about your family, this church, the walls in your life are broken down. And you have been sensing, maybe through the series, that God wants you to work on rebuilding those walls. Now today, we're going to see through Nehemiah's life that, to be honest with you, Yes, there are folks who don't want you to rebuild the walls and they'll do what they can to stop you, but your greatest threat is not outside, it's you. You're the greatest threat to rebuilding the walls in your life. You are the greatest threat. We're going to see in their life that the greatest threat to the Jews in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem wasn't Samballot, the Horonite, and all of those folks outside. It was inside and the sins that they were committing against each other. We're going to see, let's just kind of say it as it is, that the biggest threat to you rebuilding the walls in your life, in your marriages, in your homes, in this church, is your sin. That thing that you're engaging in that you know you shouldn't be engaging in. God's been speaking to you about it, but somehow you've kind of gotten used to it. You've kind of decided that you can live with this. But the problem is, is that it's hindering things. So let's look at it. We're going to look at chapter 5, and it's going to be kind of surprising. So let's look at it together. Chapter 5, we're just going to look at 19 verses. Verse 1 starts off in a dramatic fashion. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were some who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and our vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren and our children as their children. Indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards." And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also and my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to us, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also hundreds of their money and grain and new wine and oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it, and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to their promise." Then I shook the fold of my garment and said to them, may the Lord shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, in the 20th year, until the... 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God." Indeed, I also continued the work on the wall, and we did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table there were one hundred and fifty Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl was prepared for me, and... Once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because of the bondage that was heavy on the people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Interesting passage there. We're going to divide it into three sections. We're going to see, first of all, anger. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 6. We're going to see disobedience. We're going to see exactly what was going on, what was bothering Nehemiah, what were the people doing to each other that was a problem, and then we're going to see the integrity of Nehemiah and the lessons that we can learn from this. So we're going to go through this, and we're going to see three faith principles. So let's talk about anger. So here's what's going on. Remember I told you, before Nehemiah got there, Jerusalem, about 80 years before this, was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar. And he laid waste to the entire city. He broke down all the walls, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything. And so the Babylonians ruled for about 70 years until they were defeated by the Persians. When the Persians defeated the Babylonians, they allowed the Jews to come back to Jerusalem, to come back to Judea. And they allowed the Jews to begin the rebuilding of the temple again. Now, what they didn't allow the Jews to do was to rebuild the walls of the city. Now, let me explain to you, again, how important that was. It was important to have walls in the city because that was your security. That was how you kept out marauders and foreign armies that would come to try to steal from you and kill you. So basically, they're left without defenses, not just for a little period of time, But for 10 years after the fall of Babylon, they were not allowed to do that until what? Until Nehemiah approaches the king, Artaxerxes, and asks for permission to rebuild the walls. And so now they're rebuilding the walls. Now, here's the problem, though. You got all these Jews returning to Judea. Add to that a famine in the land. And because there's a severe drought, there's a food shortage. And so there's not enough grain to feed all of the people. Now add to that, the king still wants his tax. So he's exerting a huge tax on people. So food prices are high, which they would be when there's a shortage. And the government wants its taxes. So here's what happens. The poor people, are they able to pay for grain? No. Are they able to pay for the tax? Not at all. So what do they end up doing? They end up mortgaging their stuff which was allowed to be done. And so they would mortgage their stuff and sell their stuff to those who had money. Now, the problem was is that those who had money who bought the lands started charging usury. Now, what is that? Usury is a Bible word that means interest. You got a credit card? You ever use your credit card? You notice when you got your bill from the credit card, it just doesn't have what you charged on there. It also has what? the interest that you owe if you don't pay it off immediately, right? That's what we're talking about. So the Jews were charging their own brethren enormous interest. And the problem was is they couldn't pay. So guess what they had to do? They had to now try to figure out how they're going to pay back not just what they borrowed, not just the interest. So what do they do? They end up selling their daughters and their sons into slavery. That's the difficulty that's going on here. And it's threatening the overall problem of rebuilding the walls. So Nehemiah hears about it. So here's the first thing I want you to notice in our passage. The internal sins that they committed threatened the work. Remember now, who's rebuilding the walls? The Jews are. But if you've got a food shortage and you've got high interest rates because you've got to try to pay the king's taxes and so you've borrowed money, and you're ending up, what, sending your children into slavery, and that's still not solving the problem, are you going to be wanting to rebuild a wall? No. In fact, notice verse 1 starts out with a very interesting statement. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, he said there was a great outcry among the people. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That word, outcry, seems to mean that people were just complaining. No, it really means that there was a great riot among the people. Do you understand what I'm saying? People are upset and they want something done. Why? Because the internal sins that were going on, the way people were treating each other, the sins that they were committing, and guess what it's doing? It's getting ready to threaten the entire project of rebuilding the wall. See, we thought that the issue was the people on the outside, but the greater issue is what's happening on the inside, right? I want you to think for a moment. Through this issue, we've been talking about the broken walls in our lives. There are things that require us to do something. Now, remember, I told you, we've grown indifferent to it, we've used to it, but God's stirring our hearts. He wants us to deal with the issues in our marriages. He wants us to deal with the issues in our family. He wants us to deal with the issues in our church. And I told you that, yes, there's opposition to that. Ultimately, there's opposition from Satan because he doesn't want you to do that. There's outside opposition, and you're aware of it, but I'm going to say to you that the biggest issue with dealing with the problems is not the people outside. The biggest issue with dealing the problems, it's us. We're the biggest hindrance to dealing with the problem. And what is the issue? It's our own sin. See, the internal sins that we commit hinder the work of God. You say, I don't know if I believe that, George. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know that my sin would hinder the church. Really? Really? You need to just go to the book of Joshua. Remember after the battle of Jericho, they had a big victory in Jericho. What Walked around the walls of the city seven times, shouted, and what? Walls fell down. Had a big victory. Next place, they weren't going after a big place like Jericho. They were going after a village called Ai. Oh, Scripture records that they said, well, we're not going to send up the whole army. This is insignificant. We'll just send up a few. And guess what happens? They get defeated. How did that happen? We just took Jericho. God says there's sin in the camp. And there was a guy by the name of Achan who decided to disobey God back in Jericho. And it affected the whole nation of Israel so that they got defeated at a village because of sin. Sin hinders us in the rebuilding of our walls. So I want you to notice how Nehemiah responds. Because I told you this section is anger. Nehemiah became angry concerning the sin. He was upset by what was taking place and because of what it was threatening in their lives. He became angry. All right, so let me ask you a question. Okay, I already told you that all of us have broken walls. Do you like living with the broken walls? No, nobody does, do they? Do you want something to change? Right? Don't we want something to change? I mean, we've acknowledged that before over the last few weeks. We'd like for something to change, right? Well, you know, it's because of this, and we're quick to point out why it's not changing, because it's always somebody outside, right? Always somebody outside. Well, it's them, and it's this person, and, he's, and unless they change their attitude and whatever, we're quick to say that. But the reality is, yeah, they're a problem, I'll acknowledge that they're a problem, but you've got a bigger problem. I've got a bigger problem. The bigger problem is ourselves. The bigger problem is that sin that you're hanging on to. That's the bigger problem. The bigger problem is we don't want to give up whatever we're doing. You say, you're not being very specific. I don't need to. I need to be general because if I'm general... You know what it is in your life that you need to give up. I know what it is in my life that I need to give up. And let me ask you a question. When you look at the conditions of your broken walls and you realize that I am the issue or you are the issue, does it make you angry? It should. It should make you angry. A lot of time our anger is misplaced because our anger is at, well, the other person. Well, if they didn't do this, if they they didn't, hadn't have done that, if they had said this, and if they, you know, we get angry at the other person, but maybe who we need to get angry at is who? Ourselves. Like, are you kidding me? I keep, I keep throwing a monkey wrench in this situation. Nehemiah became angry concerning the sin. So here's the first, faith principle. Remember I told you we're we're trying to learn the faith lessons here from Nehemiah's life. So here's the first faith principle when we're talking about rebuilding the walls. Here's the first faith principle. Faith produces an anger towards the sin in our lives. What I believe about God and the trust that I have in him, and as I get near him, it's going to be producing in me an anger towards the thing that hinders my relationship with him. It's going to produce in me an anger towards the thing that's keeping me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing for God. It's going to be producing in me an anger towards the stuff that I'm doing wrong. See, the reason why it's not bothering us is because we've just gotten comfortable with it. But if you really thought about it for a moment, and see, this is where brokenness comes into it. Brokenness is realizing what you are doing wrong and what it's doing to others. What it's doing to the walls of your life. That's brokenness. It's truly understanding what you are doing, what is the outcome of that. Because I'm going to be honest with you, most of us, we don't have any clue. That includes me. We don't have any clue the damage that we're doing to our lives, to our families, to our church, to our marriages, you name it, we don't have any clue. And so we keep on doing what we know we shouldn't be doing because we don't have any clue. But see, faith produces an anger towards that. And I think, to be honest with you, you ever heard somebody say, oh, we just need to be, we just need to not be angry? I'm going to tell you right now, get angry. And don't get angry at somebody else. Get angry with the stuff that you know that you shouldn't be doing. Okay, so I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself with this, okay? So we see anger. Now, I'm going to tell you what the disobedience was. They kind of go through and they talk about, in verses 7 through 13, they talk about the issue of what's going on, the whole usury issue. Here's what I want you to see. Nehemiah pointed out how they were disobeying God's direct command. What direct command? Well, all the way back over in the first five books, called the Pentateuch of the Old Testament, that is the law, the law stipulated that yes, you could lend money, but here's what the law stipulated that I could not do. I couldn't charge usury or interest. The law very clearly said that they should not treat each other by not doing that. But guess what they're doing here in this situation? They're doing it to the point that people had to end up selling their own daughters and sons into slavery. What are they doing here? They're disobeying God's direct command. All right, so let's get honest with ourselves. I'm going to get honest with me, and I'm going to get honest with you. I already told you that we need to, in the first faith principle, come to a place where we say to ourselves, I need to get angry about my sin because of my faith. The second thing you and I need to do from this passage is that you and I need to realize that we are disobeying God. When you sin, you are disobeying God. Somehow we've kind of gotten to the place where we just make excuses, and that's okay, right? And and, and that's supposed to be okay. We are disobeying God's command. Nehemiah pointed out to them that They were disobeying God's Corinth. So I want you to see here what Nehemiah is saying. Nehemiah pointed out that they were doing what unbelievers do. What do you mean? Well, he says to them, We went and bought our brethren from the unbelievers. We have spent our money to redeem our people, to buy them back from slavery. And here you are, you are putting our own people back into slavery. You're doing what unbelievers do. What's the significance of that? When you and I sin, first of all, let me just remind you, Romans chapter 6 tells us very clearly that when we became believers, we were redeemed, we were bought with a price. And the power of sin has been broken in our lives. And so that we no longer have to yield our bodies to that sin. But when you and I do sin, we're acting like unbelievers who are what? Enslaved to sin. We don't have to. We're doing what unbelievers do when we continue to sin in our lives. And you need to realize that. So here's the second faith principle. Faith is guides your life to have a healthy fear of God. Again, look with me at verse 9. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Now, let me just stop for a moment, because some of you are going to be like, okay, wait a minute, I don't know if I agree with that, George, because I don't need to be terrified of God or Jesus because he died for me, he's my friend. I'm not talking about being terrified, although it can become terror. I'm talking about fear. See, I think what's missing in my life and in your lives is that we've forgotten the healthy fear of who? God. That there are some things that we should not be doing simply because we're afraid of God, what? Disciplining us. Now, he's not going to send you to hell. Stop for a moment. That's not even possible. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, hell's not even a possibility anymore. But what he does do is, is he chastises you. What's that? Well, I like to say he takes you to the woodshed. God does discipline you. Why? Because he wants you to do what? Better. See, faith recognizes, faith guides your life to have a healthy fear of God. That he's not just Bubba. He's still God. That's what's missing in our lives. Now, there's one more thing I want you to see here, and it's integrity. That's what this last section of chapter 5 is. It's like, wait a minute now, what's this discussion? I understand the problems, I understand the sin issue, I understand what Nehemiah is calling us to is to have a fear of God, but when you get to verse 14 through 19, it almost seems like he's tooting his horn here. Well, he's kind of setting an example for them. And this is what I want you to see. It's called an example of integrity. So Nehemiah decides that he's going to show the people how they should be acting. And so let me explain to you what he's talking about here. It was a practice in those days that when a governor came, the people were required to provide him with a certain allotment of money and food every day. In fact, some of the prior governors were rather abusive to the people and suppressed them. In fact, not just the governor's, but the governor's aides would even require something. And so here comes Nehemiah, and Nehemiah wants to make a point to them and say to them, Folks, I have been here 12 years as your governor. And he says to them, I have never required the governor's allotment yet. I've never laid that burden upon people who were already overburdened. I took care of myself. In fact, I didn't just take care of myself. I took care of more than a 100 people a day to make sure that they were fed from my own resources. That is integrity, isn't it? So here's what I want you to see. Nehemiah restrained his rights for the sake of others. Nehemiah didn't say, I'm allowed to do this. You guys just need to live with it. Isn't that what we do in our lives? Yeah, I know maybe God's telling me that I shouldn't be doing this, but you know what? It's me. I have freedom. Nehemiah didn't demand his rights. So here's the third faith principle. If you want to get serious, here's the third faith principle that I need to apply in my life and you need to apply in your life. Faith does not make demands for the sake of others. Faith trusts in the Lord. See, that's what faith is, right? If I make demands of myself and what I think I should happen, I'm just going to go do it, and I expect this to happen. But if I'm going to trust in the Lord, I'm going to trust God to do it, so I'm not going to make demands. That's got to be the same thing in your life. As you're trying to work through and mend the walls in your life and in your marriages and your families, the biggest hindrance, isn't this true, is when we make demands of each other. Well, we're not going to settle this in our marriage until you do this. How far does that get you? We're not going to be able to change this issue until I see this happening because it's my, what's the word we use? Right. Faith puts its trust in who? God. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Here's what we've seen so far. As we think about this is our fifth in the message we've seen God laying the burden on your heart about wanting to take care of that broken wall in your life. We've seen God making the provision and providing the ability to do that, but we've also seen the opposition arise and, and God showing us how to to deal with the outside pressures not to do it. Today, He's showing us that the biggest hindrance to my dealing with my issues and the walls in my life and you dealing with the issues in your life and the walls in your life or us dealing with the issues of the walls in our church, the biggest issue is who? Ourselves. And that faith and trust in God moves us to recognize that. And what does it do? It tries to live with a healthy fear. It gets angry about the sin in our lives and it wants to do something about it. And it what it doesn't make demands for itself. That's what we need to do, folks. That's what you need to do. We need to start rising up and what? Rebuild, but it's first going to take you not being just aware of what's going on outside that's hindering you. It's looking at what's in your life right now. That's hindering you.
0: Thank you for being with us this morning, and we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web.